Hey Tractionville, we've got something new for you. We've been thinking, so many of you are running on EOS with a variety of experiences. And the best way we can help you execute the tools and components of EOS is to break them down and give you some tips on how to really use them well. That's why we're starting a new weekly segment called Tractionville Tips. In just five minutes, we'll give you our practical advice on how to navigate the challenges and roadblocks you face as you unlock the power of the EOS toolkit. Each week, we'll answer a specific question about a tool, break down a common issue, or provide a helpful tip that you can use in leading your team. Look for Tractionville Tips every Thursday wherever you're enjoying this podcast. And if you've got a burning question, share it with us. You can submit your question at Tractionville.com or text ASKUS, A-S-K-U-S, to 555-888 to send us your question. And again, you can go to Tractionville.com or you can text ASKUS, A-S-K-U-S, to 555-888 and send us your questions. We're here to help you run on EOS and grow as you go. See you for Tractionville Tips every Thursday. When I was talking to business owners, you know, my thing was, when people would ask me, you know, explain why you think we're going through this and explain how you think we got here. And I said, well, you know, for the last 20 to 30 years, we've just been speaking two different languages and thinking that we were saying the same thing or thinking that we were hearing one another. Tractionville, the podcast for companies running on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with Benj Miller. And today we are excited to welcome uh, Sam Collier to Tractionville. Sam is a speaker, author, and pastor. Uh, he is the uh, he has a national TV and podcast. And uh, he has a new book coming out, which uh, we're going to go into. Uh, His new book drops August 4th. It's called A Greater Story. Sam, welcome to Tractionville. How did y'all end up with a name like Tractionville? I mean, that's just incredible. Hold up. We asked the questions around here. (laughs) (laughs) This ain't your show. This ain't your show. Look, when I saw it on my calendar, I said, is this this Lil Wayne's new album? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) well, here's the deal. And and this was about to, this is where I was about to go is for our audience. This is not an EOS conversation. I don't even know if Sam knows what EOS is. EOS is tied to traction, which is where we got Tractionville because we want to be on an island kind of like Margaritaville, but we all have this thing that this operating system that we use and love and, and methodology. But Sam, I wanted you on for a bunch of different reasons way outside that and our community needs to get to know you. Um, you're very influential. You and I met, uh, even though we're both in Atlanta, we met for the first time in I think San Francisco. Um, and you were even then rallying people together. You are, you're a great bridge builder of people. Um, and I want to get into that for several different reasons, but first I want you to, nobody can introduce themselves better than you because you've spent so much time analyzing your own story. So tell us about Sam, tell us about your show, your, and, and how that led into your, your book that you have coming out. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know what EOS is. And at some point I need to figure that out. Please tell me before we get off. Um, honored to be here, Ben. I promise you need an integrator before I ever bother telling you what it's about. Okay. <laughs> Please. Um, Benj, honored to be here. Chris, great to meet you. I know I when I heard you, your voice for the first time today, I said, This man is he's he's like a legend living today. This is just incredible. Man, born and raised in on Auburn Avenue, um, so civil rights, a kind of birthplace, right across the street from the Martin Luther King Jr. Center, where the above tombs of MLK and Coretta sit. Um, really close to the King family, um, which that has just kind of matriculated or it kind of just grew over the last, I don't know, 
uh, 10 years. And um, long story short, used to do music for a really long time. Thought I was going to be the Christian version of Usher, but that didn't happen. <laughs> and I kind of got shifted over into more of speaking, had a nonprofit for a long time that focused a lot on the inner city and a lot of these, some of the poorest areas in our country from Harlem to uh, the, the slums of Louisiana, uh, Charlotte, uh, some other places. And uh, we reached about 80,000 kids in a year with kind of a message of no losing. That turned into uh, much kind of ministry, kind of full time and a little bit of consulting. Started at a 25,000 member African-American church. Um, then I was on staff there, left there, and ended up with Andy Stanley over at North Point, kind of as a speaker, host, consultant, and different things, uh, diversity. And that turned into me just consulting a lot of different organizations here in terms of working with organizations like Chick-fil-A Corporate and Catalyst and Global Leadership Summit, Orange Conference, Orange Tours, Orange Curriculum, so on and so forth. And out of that place, um, birthed a brand called A Greater Story, uh, which is the idea that when your story connects to God's story, it leads to a greater story. And it came because I was on the Steve Harvey show about six years ago, meeting my biological family for the first time after 25 years, which was just crazy. Me and my twin sister got adopted. We were born into poverty, uh, addiction, extreme drugs, um, kind of counted out. And God kind of rewrote our story um, just by bringing these incredible individuals into our lives that adopted us and raised us um, as, as their own. Middle class, didn't have everything we wanted, had everything that we needed. Um, and, you know, my sister grew up to get, become an industrial engineer, Georgia Tech, right? And I ended up on Tractionville. With yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just I want to hit pause there a little bit, Sam. So, so you and your sister weren't separated. You, you were, uh, you been together the entire yeah. time. Oh, that's yeah. great. What, what was interesting is our, when our mother had us, um, she had three kids already. So three uh, brothers and sisters that we, I didn't find out a lot of this until six years ago, but she had, she had us. So she had five kids, age 21, poor, didn't have enough money to take care of the three. And so she gave us up. So, um, and then we got adopted together. And it was just, I mean, just this wild kind of yeah. story. So. so Sam, I haven't read the book yet because it drops the same day that we're dropping this release of Tractionville. It's, it's or, out today. It's out today. Go get it. It's going in the show notes. Um, it is, um, I've heard you speak on what I assume is in the book, a lot of it, um, but it's a thick book. So why, what's in the book, man? What do you, why write it? Who's it for? If, I, if I'm just honest, you know, I, I think to our business owners and entrepreneurs out there, you know what it's like to create a plan, right? Like we've got our visions, we get our whiteboards out, we get our teams together and we plan out the next five years of what this is going to be. We launch different brands, so on and so forth. And honestly, Benj, I was doing that. I had a bunch of plans and you know me personally. <laughs> so, you know, I'm always planning something. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know how many, you know, Christians we have or believe, but I'll just use the word, the term God for me specifically, you know, God interrupted my life and he stopped my plans and he's like, you're going to go on the Steve Harvey show and you're going to reunite with your biological family. I don't, you know, and it's like, I don't care if you want to or not. I mean, if I just pause for a second, yeah. the way this whole thing happened, Benj and, 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 and Chris, is that um, my, my father, I told you I grew up on Auburn. So my dad had a barbershop on Auburn Avenue. And every day, and I don't know if you've seen the movie Barbershop, right? But it's... Yeah. The black barbershop is like, you know, it's like ground zero for the black man in the black community. But it's where you learn about politics, it's where you learn about women, it's where you debate religion. I mean, it's the, you hear some of the craziest things. So my dad has this barbershop. I grew up in this barbershop. And you do the same thing every day if you're a barber, right? You watch TV, you cut hair, you take naps, and you sleep. I mean, and you, yeah, and you talk trash. And so with all of that, he will watch the Steve Harvey show every day. And so he came home and told us, it's time to go find your biological family. 
God told me Steve Harvey was going to help you find him. I said, Dad, you've lost your Oh, my God. What? <laughs> and I thought he had lost his mind. I was just like, whatever. I got up left, found out he convinced my sister to write into the show. And a year later, they call us, and there's a lady who was working at Jerry Springer who just had left Jerry Springer a week before, and this is her first week on the job. They put 100 stories on her desk, and our story was the top story. Come on. And so, long story short, I say all that to say, I was not planning this. And so when it happened, it went crazy. And then North Point, Jeff Henderson over at North Point said, you got to come tell this story on a Sunday. I did. And the reaction to the story was so, listen, I, I think I'm good, right, at a couple of things. I hope I, hope I am. But I'm not as good as... <laughs> as this story makes me sound like right when i tell this story people are lining up down the hall to meet my parents the ones that adopted us and they're bringing me their adopted kids and they're talking to me about you know the the mess that they find themselves in and like look if god could rescue you from that then what can he do in my life you know what can he do in my life and so that's why i wrote the book because of the reaction that I started getting every time I told the story. And what's interesting, Chris and Benj, is that I've told this story in a corporate setting as well, where Jesus is not a popular thing, right? I always say God is mainstream, Jesus isn't. <laughs> like, they're, they're okay with you saying God, because most people believe in God. You, there are a lot of people that don't, but there are a ton of, you know, majority of the but when you start to get, so they're like, you can say God, but, but when I show people the story in a business setting, people are crying, I'm crying, and it just, it gets crazy. So that's why I wrote the book, to give people hope that it doesn't matter what, how dark their situation is, there is hope available. Your customers are looking for you online. Earning their attention in business is not an easy task. You deserve a custom strategy tied to your unique business goals that will allow you to rise above the competition. So if you're not confident that your digital presence is driving the sales you need, now is the time to take action. At Rocket Clicks, that's our mission, and we are committed to growing your business online. Mention this podcast when you contact us, and you'll receive a free audit of your website or ad campaigns. No strings attached, no commitment necessary. Let us show you what you're missing. Contact Rocket Clicks today by visiting www.rocketclicks.com. Sam, why you're talking about an event like going on the Steve Harvey show, but it yeah. it it could be an event for somebody like oh I met my biological foot, but you you use the word interruption like it changed your whole life. Yeah, can you explain that? My dad's prompting, and, I, and we're unpacking the story as we go, is, um, was, you could grow up one day, one day, you could grow up one day and marry your cousin, and you would never know it. <laughs> that was his, that's his thing. So this is why you need to go, I, you know. But underneath that, you know, as we spoke deeper, you know, he's like, you need to know where you came from. Yeah. Hmm. Because I think there's something about knowing where you came from that helps you maximize where you're going. And I think he just knew that. And he really was like, this is y'all need to connect the dots. So for me on a very practical level, you know, we lost my biological father to COVID-19 a couple months ago. And I found out because my biological mother who we're, we're still in contact, she texted me, Hey, your dad died, you know, um, and then they never got married, which is a whole nother story. But she's like, he died from COVID-19 because he was in the hospital with because he's got bad diabetes. So I learned that diabetes runs in my family. So that's just on a very practical level. And he went to go, um, honestly, get drugs. I mean, he's been addicted to substances. since. That's why he wasn't there, right? I mean, so yeah. why we, I ended up adopted and in the system and all these other things. Um, so he was going to get drugs in New York at the height of COVID-19 when New York was like the, you know, and got contracted COVID-19 going to get drugs from the hospital and, you know, it took him. 
So I learned about diabetes in my family. I learned about the proclivity for addiction, right? You know, just all of these other things. And so I think on a very practical level, it was that. On a, in a, on a larger level, it was understanding why I was taken out of that situation. I think there, there had to be an interruption in my bloodline because mm. that to hopefully reroute, I believe, our family, which it has started to um, a little bit. Um, me and my brother are the only men in our family that aren't dead on drugs or in prison, period. Wow. Me and my yeah. brother, that's it. Granddad died in prison three years ago, four years ago, double life sentence for double homicide. You know, just that was our family. I got right. uncles who just got out of prison. Right. And so I think there had to be an interruption. And, you know, and, and you, we can debate back and forth about why us and not our sisters. And, and, I, and I've gone down that road before and da da da. But, but God chose to do it with me and my sister. Um, to to kind to kind of hopefully just change the we, I don't want I don't know if you want to call it generational curse or just the pathway that our family was going yeah. down to rewrite it. So it changed my life, man. And obviously, this story now took over my life. So now everything about my life is obviously the other things that I'm doing, but this is such a large part. That's amazing. Um, you mentioned mentioned this kind of in passing, but through the you know, we've, we've been in COVID, but we've also been in these re re heightened race conversations and you have been a sanctuary for me, like <laughs> to ask dumb questions, frankly. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. It's like, I, I'm like, Hey Sam, why is this a big deal? And you're like, Oh, cause this, this, and this, or go watch this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I get it now. Um, so a lot of it's just out of ignorance, but you've been a sanctuary. And, and like I said earlier, also a bridge builder. And I would love, uh, I, I don't think when I think of like, who's deep in this race conversation and not just from like a, on the podium spouting off, but has real thoughts and has spent real time wrestling the hard issues. You're like the top of the list for me. And I would love your perspective because I think that, the people of Tractionville, the leaders that are listening to this podcast have an opportunity to make a, a, a major impact in, I don't know what we call it. Is it reconciliation? Is it getting past? I don't even know what to call it. But in this next season, how just teach us, just talk to us for a minute. What is our opportunity? How should we be thinking about it as leaders of organizations? Wow. First of all, you were really doing a lot of work <laughs> during this season as it pertains to race. The, the text messages, the, yeah. And I just got to commend you, uh, Benj, because I, I always say, you know, I call it the two pandemics, like COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter. <laughs> and during the Black Lives Matter pandemic, um, you know, there was nowhere you could stand and not get hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there was just nowhere. And and I know because I tried to stand everywhere. I mean, it was like, I said, okay, if I'm quiet, I'm going to get hit because I'm not loud. If I'm loud, I'm too loud. If I'm balanced, I'm too balanced. If I'm left, I'm too left. Yes. If I'm right, I'm too... I mean, there was just... And so it, it, that's what made it so interesting and a little bit entertaining sometimes just because it was like, man, like every, everyone is forced to be in this conversation, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Because you can't stand anywhere and not get hit. Everybody's looking at everything you're doing. They're going, they're going down your timeline. They're going back 10 years or what did you post? <laughs> Who's on your board? I mean, it's just like, what is happening? And I think business owners out there can probably attest because everything is being scrutinized. Everything was being scrutinized. And now we're living in a time where it's died down a little bit um, media wise, but it's going to come back up for the election. It's going to be crazier oh, yeah. just because it's, and it's already started to be, I mean, oh, yeah. we at the point that we're politicizing masks. Like, <laughs> and I don't have an opinion on that one way or another. I don't want to start a war. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's like 
you can imagine what it's getting ready to be in a second um, with this, uh, assuming that Kanye doesn't win. <laughs> okay, sorry, I had to throw that in. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Well, even then, it, it heightens the conversation. <laughs> oh, my. oh, yeah. That's a whole other element to the conversation. Right. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I couldn't resist. Yeah. So I think what, <laughs> with all of that being said, though, um, I, I'm going to try to speak in terms of um, kind of where we were and where I think what we have an opportunity to go. I, yeah. You know, the, the great thing about that moment there were a lot of crazy things about it but the great thing about that moment is that um we were finally having the conversation and i i, I kind of had well let me say it this way for me at the height of the conversation when the rioting was happening when the protesting was happening when the attacks on social media were happening there were a lot of people that were stressed and i was excited <laughs> And I was not excited about the rioting because I don't because I, I don't condone violence. I don't teach that. It's not what MLK taught. He did teach nonviolent resistance and protests for the purpose of creating conversation, um, but but in a nonviolent, peaceful kind of way. And that's actually what has moved our country forward. Um, it's been very peaceful protest for the purpose of sitting down at the table to right. actually have a conversation. And but so I was excited at the 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 attention on the conversation because I've been doing the work for four or five years of trying to get us to come together in a greater way to fighting for the freedom of, of all people, including black and brown. Um, with that, I said, yes, we're finally going to sit down and wrestle with some of these things. And, and to be an encouragement, and Benj, me and you always were talking about that even before, like when we first met, we were talking about issues of race, um, when it wasn't popular. Now that it's popular, I'm going, all right, now we're really gonna have that hard conversation that we're gonna, that, that we were supposed to be having the whole time. And now we're finally gonna hear each other. My analogy, when I was talking to business owners, um, and then I'm gonna talk about, I'll, I'll sway it a little bit more to the opportunity for the business conversation. When I was talking to business owners, you know, my thing was when people ask me, you know, explain why you think we're going through this and explain how you think we got here. And I said, well, you know, for the last 20 to 30 years, we've just been speaking two different languages. And I'm going to make this, I'm going to just, for the sake of the conversation, make it black and white as opposed to other, just because I think that's where the main tension yeah. <laughs> tends to be. And then uh, you know you have your outskirts and all that, and we'll talk. But for the sake of the conversation, we'll just talk kind of black and white with the history of the country and all that. Um, and I'm gonna speak specific to America because there are some other. I could go into Australia, but let's just talk America. <laughs> uh, with America, we've just been speaking two different languages, and this is my opinion, and thinking that we were saying the same thing, or thinking that we were hearing one another. And all of a sudden, and, I, and let me, and I'm giving a bunch of disclaimers because you have to in this conversation. Um, I, I'm not talking about- We'll tell uh, people where to send the hate mail, so I'm not worried okay. about it. They can, <laughs> it <laughs> they can send it to me, right? Um, um, uh, I'm not talking about the outliers, right? Because you have outliers in both camps. Yeah. You've got your white supremacists, yeah. neo-Nazi kind of like, okay, let's take them and put them over here. Then you've got your super radical, I hate white people, white people are the devil, <laughs> I'm gonna kill you on this side. You know, on both sides, like you have your outliers. And but if and if I were to put a percentage on it, you got about 10% outliers, right? I, that's what I would give it a percentage about 10%. But the majority of Americans, specifically black and white, thought that we were saying the same thing or thought that we were hearing each other. And we looked up and we realized all at one time, oh, wait a minute. You've been saying something different. The analogy I always give is this. When I got married, and I know there are a lot of married couples out there, or if you've been in a relationship, you know. When I got married uh, to Tony, um, sometimes she would say things like 10 times, and I really wouldn't hear it till like the 10th time. That's right. A, you know the old <laughs> adage, you got to tell them seven times before they hear it for the first right. time. <laughs> like, 
Like, uh, you know, and it, all of a sudden she's walking out with a bag going out of town. I'm like, when did you, where are you going? She's like, I told you I was going to see my mother. I'm like, when did you tell me that, you know, I'm like, what? you just leaving this house without telling me. She's like, I literally told you nine times <laughs> that I was going out of town. I mean, when, you know, and then she starts recounting the, well, we were at the pool and then we were driving the big dollar. And I was like, oh, well, this is the first time I heard. And so when we, when we would go to counseling within our first year of marriage, our counselor would tell us, y'all got to, you got to figure out two things. One, you got to figure out how to talk to each other in a way where the other person can hear. And then you also have to learn how to hear with the other person is saying on both sides. So she's yeah. like, Tony, you got to figure out how to say things to say. And so for me, and this is, you know, not her fault. Like for me, she pretty much has to grab me by the face <laughs> and say, I am going out of town. You know I mean? And you hear the words coming right. out of my mouth. Right. Like, cause, because she would notice if I was running and she was talking to me as we were moving, I would, it would just, I would, I would tune it out because my brain was on so much. So she has to go, hey, there's something important I need to tell you. I'm like, okay, what's going on? And then my brain all of a sudden clicks in. And then also for me, I had to learn that she does talk in passing sometimes, which is fine. Or she's not, she's not going to say it. I'm a, you know, I'm, I've got a really dramatic and aggressive personality because I'm an eight on the Enneagram, which our business owners know about that. And so for me, I'm going to say it aggressive so you're going to know what I'm saying. Her, she's a little softer. So I've got to learn to tune my ears to everything that she's saying, because in my mind growing up, you know, you have friends that are just like you. So you, you have people, you know, everybody, all my friends be like, boom, 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 one plus da, da, da. And so for her, she's just going to say it real soft. So I had to start tuning my ears to her voice. In other words, we had to learn how to speak to each other because we, we, one, we listen differently and, and we talk differently. So it's the same thing in this race conversation that I explain to people is like, at the end of the day, because I sit where I sit, you know, I grew up all black culture, really close to the King family, but also involved in a ton of white spaces, majority white spaces at the highest level on both ends. I have found that, you know, I, I hate to use this terminology. There are good people on both sides. <laughs> I hate to say it that way. I mean, you know, and again, we're not talking about the outliers. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. those people are, I wouldn't put them in the good people category. You know what I'm saying? But for, at the, for the most part, everybody has great intentions. We just have not been hearing each other. And so what does that, what does that mean? And then I'm gonna take it to business owners. Sorry, it's, I took the long way home. With all of that being said, what it ended up being, which was really encouraging to me, um, was white people going, oh, you live in a different world. I didn't hear you saying that before. Now I see it and black people going, and this is huge. I thought you knew and you didn't. Yeah. So it's not, you hate me. It's not, you don't care. It's you didn't hear what I was saying. And as, as tiny as both of those changes are, the implications are huge because it creates empathy on both sides that leads to a conversation of, oh, all I have to do is just teach you about my life and you'll like, oh, you didn't learn about this as a kid. Oh, here's what, and then it's like, oh, you mean you're not lazy, <laughs> right? Oh, you're not lazy. Oh, there's actually been some systemic things. Okay, and it started before me, I got it, right? right? Like, all right, so let's sit down and come together. And, 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 and again, that didn't happen for everyone, but for, for a lot of people it did. And for those conversations, I was really encouraged. All right, let's talk about business owners. Cause I just, that's a foundation. Of, well, let me pause you for yeah. two quick seconds. The first is I wasn't sure where you were going with that, taking the long road, but when you landed it, like that resonated deeply yeah. with me. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And the second thing is on that road, you, you pointed out some things that, just, I think we need to realize not even as business leaders, but as people that work in businesses with other people on that communication style and that other people don't, you know, that's not a, that's not just a race thing. That's a people thing, it's right? A like, human, uh, it's a human yeah, thing, yeah. And there's so, there's a lot, there's a lot that we could up our game on that everywhere. 
So I, but I like Sam and, and, you know, when, you know, for, for, for getting the, the black white right now, just, just two human beings, right. Coming together, your, your point about the, the communication, what that moment, like when I heard you, right. Uh, from both sides to your point that creates the opening now mm-hmm. where we actually can come together and have a conversation, you know, like, like it, it may get emotional, right? Things can go up and down. But the fact that I'm now open and I'm hearing what you're trying to tell me and, 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 and I'm connecting it, like, that's the point right there. It's like, okay, cool. Now, now mm-hmm. we can sit down, we can come mm-hmm. together and we can address this, right? Like in EOS, we call it IDS. We, we call it identify the root cause. Mm. have a have a discussion and then let's move to solve mm. right line it up knock it down make it go away forever and that's what we got to do with this we got to make it go we we're, we're, i think we're around the corner maybe a little bit um in, in to your point that we are now listening to each other right and that puts us around the corner a little bit and i know we got a, a road ahead of us but I do believe that that, to your point, we got that opening where people are listening to one another. Now we can have effect change, mm-hmm. you know? All right, Sam, bring us back in. 100%. I, I agree with that. that. That moment, that moment is everything. I mean, that, right? I, I've, when, when, when we finally get to that point, that's when I see the walls come down and we, and, and change starts to happen. And yeah. it's, I've seen that same pattern over the last Six or six or seven years. That's why I'm so encouraged. Um, I think as it pertains to business owners, and you know, Ben, you asked the question, what is the opportunity for business owners that they have in this space? When Dr. King died, he was working on something called Operation Breadbasket. And Operation Breadbasket was birthed out of this concept. So there were three things that MLK focused on right before that. So he went from desegregating the buses to lunch counter sit-ins to voting. And so the lunch counter sitting sit-ins were, it was about desegregating basically restaurants and businesses. So you can start. Da, 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 da. So one day he's sitting in the, in a lunch counter at a lunch counter. And he says, what good is it if the black man can eat with the, with the white man, but he can't pay for the meal. And so that birthed Operation Breadbasket because he was saying, we fixed, we desegregated it. But the last piece of this is we haven't, we haven't empowered African-Americans and black and brown people economically so that they can participate in the overall economy in a greater way. And so when you look at the average and, and we can, people can quote, but I mean, Harvard has done research on this. I think, I don't know if it's median income or I, I don't know how you gross, whatever you call it, net. The average white family is 100,000, average black family is 30. So you start to ask the question, okay, is that, we go back to laziness, is that laziness or if I were to say it this way, how much of that is laziness and how much of that is systemic? And it's easy, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, it's actually an easy conversation to have because it's, it's a logical thing. When you look at 400 years of oppression and slavery and da 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 da, right? What it, it's really only about 70 years ago that the black family, and I'm just again black, that the black family started to actually prosper, if you will, economically. You compare 70 years to 400, 400. of white people stacking up right? It's easy to see how we ended up at 130 on an average because it's just passed down. There's exposure to more. Um, What what does that look like in 2020? Well, what it looks like in 2020 is, you know, when when people ask me about, um, if we use the word systemic oppression, people go, what does that look like today? What it looks like today is, and this is going to be, this is going to hit the business right in the, this is right the target. What it looks like today is um, your average CEO, right? And people go with percentages and da 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 da, right? Your average CEO of Fortune 500 organizations 
in America are white, your average CEO. So it's maybe 20% to 80. And people start going, well, it's only like 20%. It's like, yeah, but the statistics are like 60% white and 40% minorities in America. So it should, it should probably be more like 60, 40, 80, 20, 80, 15, whatever you want to call it. Um, but when you start looking at some of the largest organizations that help to shape what our world looks like, when you look at the top of these organizations, they're white pretty much at the top. And you start to ask the question again, well, how did that happen? Well, for years, white people have been in power. So if white people have been in power, what happens is, is that one, there were systems when, when we were living in a racist country, when it was like, when that was the thing, there were racist systems put in place to keep white people in power. Not now, they were put in place like in 1930, you know what I'm saying, in 1940. And some of those systems hasn't changed. So, because one, people didn't know about it, right? I mean, it's like, that's when I, when I spend time with my white friends, they're going, whoa, like, had I known that was my granddad, I got to get rid of that one, right? It's just it's like, I didn't, I didn't know that he had put that in place because they don't, they don't want you to think they're right. I mean, you know how it is. I mean, white families, it's like, no, like granddad doesn't want to relive that and da, 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 da. And so what it has done is it's kept white people in power for a long time. So you get hired, you pass it down to your son, you pass it to your cousin, to your friend, and they just happen to be white. So then you look at 2020 today and you go, how come so many white people are controlling so much stuff? Was well, because their families had it and they just passed it. It went throughout yeah. their community, right? And so that's why when you get into the conversation with a lot of my white friends now and they go, hey, why, why are you coming at me? Like, I didn't do it. Like, I'm not, I got, I just got this. Like, you know, I, I, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's really coming from an innocent place. Like, I'm not racist. My granddad gave this to me, you know, and so, with that being said, or oh, I worked hard or oh, 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 whatever, um, with that being said, now it is the it is the responsibility for the advantaged to help the disadvantaged get to where they are. That's so now it's like you didn't do it. As I know somebody says like uh, it's not you didn't create the problem, but now it's, it's your problem to fix. So I, the, the biggest phrase I've been using is. Now it's time for us to finish the job. We started it, and now it's time for us to finish the job that wasn't finished. It started, you know, back in the 60s. Now we just got to finish it. And so to my white brothers and sisters, I always say, just finish, you know, just help. Let's just finish the job together. And so it looks like equity. All right, really simple example, businesses. And, and, and let, me, let, me, let me give a principle so people know what I'm talking about, okay? I think the opportunity for businesses in this season is to help level the playing field economically and also from an equity perspective in the workplace. So that staffing, that if you're an investor that's investing in certain things, it's, it's creating a level playing field so that we really can have equal opportunity. Because there was so because the, the 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 scale was imbalanced for such a long time, we're balancing the scale. So that's that's what it looks like. Um, on a very micro level, because okay, give me an example. Here's what it looks like. So I was working with an organization, majority white, and out of 200 staff members, three people of color on staff, three, and they were really wanting to diversify, and they were in neighborhoods and serving clientele that would call for that. And so they really wanted to do it. So we worked on this for four years. And I mean, we're pushing it really hard, right? We're like, let's go, let's go. And I work with a lot of organizations. So it's not one in particular, but let's go, like, let's roll. CEO put his foot down and he's like, we got to diversify this organization. Let's do it. So out of four years, they make, you know, eight full-time hires, but you know, eight full-time hires is, is, is a lot. Um, that's why sometimes it takes so long to diversify because they're like, well, do I just fire all my white people? And it's like, well, let's, let's figure this out. So they do eight new staff members and they stand them up on one day full time. And one by one, they stand them up at the staff meeting and all of them are white. And so I'm in the back going, this is after four years of us working on this. So I'm in the back going, you know, I'm freaking out. And, I, because I'm, freak, and I'm freaking out because I'm going, one, either I fail and two, everyone else is going to notice and they're probably heartbroken. Right. So I start going from each department that hired. And I'm like, did you see it? You know, <laughs> And they're like, no. Wow. I'm like, you didn't see, they're like, see what I'm like, it was all white. <laughs> they were like, it what? 
you know what it was. So then they're heartbroken, right? But they didn't, they didn't even see it. So I'm like, well, maybe that was just him. Let me go to the other apartment. Long story short, nobody saw it. Nobody saw it. Not even, so I hit the CEO, I'm like, and he, and he, then he's like, Lord, you know. Um, and so when I started to ask the question, how did, we, how did this happen? When we went from department to department, they said, we just, when we, when we hire people, I mean, we just, they went through their phone. Mm-hmm. And they started just texting people that they thought, well, here's the word, a culture fit. And so they, you hire out of your circle, your friend group. Yeah. Um, and that's all they did. And so, and can I say, and business owners can relate to this. When you, when, if you are succeeding, if your business is, is moving, you got to get somebody in there fast. Sure. You're like, I got to get somebody fast. And so what do you do? You do the easiest thing. You go, okay, I gotta, who, who do I know? Hey, can you help me? It's not, you're not thinking from a race lens. You're just going, I got to get this thing done. Yeah. And so what about, so by osmosis, right? You just float into it being all white people. And so, I mean, and it's not your, it's not, that's what I'm saying. That's why when I talk, when I talk about this conversation, I'm like, people are good people. It's just, you've got to change the lens. And so and it's not have- just speed either. It is, we yeah. all know a, a employee that comes in as a referral from somebody that is a, a culture fit is more likely to be a culture fit in our organization. So 100%. So we just want to eliminate risks. That's what it is. We want to eliminate. And so if we're not careful, and I could go for three days on this, but if we're not careful, we'll end up tr- uh, uh, choosing a culture fit and perpetuating another problem. So what we ended up having to do in that organization was, and this is not legal. <laughs> so that's why I won't give the name of the organization, but they literally had to say the next eight hires, it has to be a, a person of color. Sure. Yeah. It just has to be like, and they had that conversation privately and people will hear that and go, that's affirmative action. It's like, okay, hold on. Here's the, here's the question I always ask organizations when I'm consulting and, and I don't ask everyone, but when I'm like, y'all gotta, you gotta put something on the, on the wall to, so you can get a target. When, when people try to go affirmative action, I, I go, listen, or quotas. I go, listen, well, let's do what you were doing before. <laughs> That's what I say. I'm like, well, all right, let's not put a number on it. Let's not say the next whatever. I said, let's do what you were doing before and let's see what happens. Well, we know what's going to happen because you've been doing it for 20 years. The system doesn't work. And it's because it's because when we hire people, we hire based on culture fit and out of people and, and trust and all of these things and, and out of our phone. And unfortunately, most of us tend to do life with people that are just like us. And so until you change your friend circle, you have to shock the system to move it in a different direction. And once you shock it, it's fine because now you've brought new people in, you've got different hiring pools, you've got a different bench, and now you're pulling from different things. But until you shock it, it's almost impossible to create a new rhythm. Ben, you about to say something. So here's what I hear you saying. I wanna see if I, I, this is not what you said, but this is what I'm thinking in my head. In my head, I would have said, you know, I'm gonna stack up the employees, you know, all things equal, you know, rank them next to each other. And if the, if the person of color is a better fit, I'm going to hire them. And if it's a white person, I'm going to hire them. What I hear you saying is if they're, if, if that white person isn't five X better, then it's our opportunity to play a role in changing the equity game by investing in that person of color in that role. Is that what you're saying? One hundred percent. And, 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 let me also say, or don't hire someone until you find the right person. Because, so I think it's both and. There is a sense of, let me create the culture fit, which is the opportunity to pull in somebody that may not be 100%, but they're 70. And the 30% that they need to get is not because they can't do it. They've just never been there. It took me four years to be relevant at North Point. Four years. Mm. And it's because 
I had a sponsor. I call, and so when I do com- diversity consulting, I say you got to have somebody that sponsors a person of color to help onboard them because that's where you lose them in the onboarding. And he onboarded me for four years. Oh. I had to learn white culture. I had to learn North Point culture. I had to learn white theology. I had to learn white people. I didn't know white people. Like, and so when, when you when you're in the ministry game, if I just make it about if I turn it into a business language and we start talking about a product, right? If if the product in church is based on hitting a certain demographic, right? You're selling it to a certain demographic in church or in, you know, you, it means that you have to have messaging and, and moments that hit the specific felt needs of that specific culture. And I didn't know the felt needs because I didn't grow up there. Mm-hmm. And so... It took me four years to learn the felt needs and to figure out how to still be me in that system. I mean, it was a, <laughs> it was a, it, I, I needed to be invested in. I was not who I am now there. Now people go, man, you just like, boom, boom. I'm like, yeah, but it took me four years and a lot of hard conversations and yeah. a lot of training. I almost quit twice. Mm. And within that, right. I made it. And so the first part is definitely, uh, I just been, you're 100% right. It's investing in it because you, you could, because if you, if you just wait on somebody to be perfect, you probably will never get them. Right. Because we live in two different worlds. I think we underestimate how much our culture plays a part in what we do. And business, you know, business is, you know, your clientele is everything. We all tend to create businesses based off of what our expertise is and based on who we are. And so no wonder our clients end up looking like us, right? Or at least close to us because that's how we become an expert in it. So you got to give space. Oh, and then the other side is the, or like wait until you get the right person. And so for, 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 for me, you know, there are a ton of black executives and that are amazing. They just don't have the opportunity. They're not in the circle. And it's going to, it may instead, in other words, you may want to hire the position in two months, but it might take you six. Because for those first two months, you might have to go into a new space and go and find these executives, make mm-hmm. some calls, go outside of your circle. Because for mm-hmm. us, it's e- I know if I want to hire somebody, I pull up my phone, I go, hey, I, I text 10 people. You know anybody that does this? Yep. And I get 20 responses. Right. And I'm like, great. And it's, and I've already vetted it because the people I'm texting are good people. And that right. when I'm going outside of my culture, I'm going to have to, I got to go find other people. You know what I'm saying? You got to, I can't just pull out the phone. So it takes me a little longer, but six months is not that much longer than two months. And you actually get that. And here's the good news. This is why I say, once you break the system, you got it. It's an uphill battle. And then, but once you get up the hill and you start cracking it, next thing you know, your phone changes and you can yeah. pull out your phone and, and now you now they're in your lineup. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So now it takes two months. So Sam, I wanna I wanna go back to something you just said, and, and I know we're we're nearing the end here, but in four years, you felt like quitting twice. Yeah. And so I'm curious, right? Because your your four-year onboarding, right, into into white culture, Northburn, all that. What happened? Why did you almost quit? What 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 was it that you were like, man? I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting <laughs> that we, we we talked about language. It was a language barrier. Was it? It was. I don't know what you're trying to say to me. And you don't know how to say it, <laughs> but I hear you. So, like it, there were moments that they were wanting a certain thing on stage that they were trying to articulate, but didn't really know how to say it in my in the the way that I. Right. And this is gonna be fun. And then there were moments, and so I'm trying to hit it. I'm like, okay, well, what about this? And they're like, no. And after you fail so many times. And it's like, oh, Mo, you just kind of like, well, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe it's just not. Not a right fit, maybe. Or... Yeah. And so I'm just like, I mean, I can't keep failing. I feel like I'm killing it. And you, there's nothing worse than, fit, than being in a job, right? <laughs> and, you, and you're not, and you don't feel like you're succeeding. That impacts who we are. And, you know, as a black man, I'm just like, and, uh, you know, when you, when you tack on 
not failure, and you black in a white space. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like double failure, right? Yeah. It's like, Lord, I'm failing in front of these white people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're like, and so I'll be honest, and this is going to be funny. There was another black guy in the system who had come before me who was, who was not like me because I came from a really charismatic, but he kind of came from an almost charismatic, but not really. And so I was on my way out, super frustrated. He said, what's going on? I said, here's what, I'm, here's what they're saying. I said, here's what he said, oh, what they're trying to say is this. And I was like, huh. He used a different word. So then I went back that Sunday. They said, that's it. That's it. You know? So I was like, and they said, what happened? I said, well, I went and talked to a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he translated for me what y'all were trying to say. And so it was a language. That's why I say everybody needs a sponsor. And, that's good. And, and, yeah. and, and the, in the work of diversity, like the worst thing you could do is try to bring a minority in that, and you don't have anyone there who can help them who yeah. can translate. Translate. Because you might, that's why I say you lose them on the onboarding. You could yeah. lose them just because you don't know how to say what you're trying to say. Um, you know, anyway, so. Sam, I think that's so um, help, like helpful, like practical. That's something we yeah. can do, and I appreciate that. And you also set a, a beautiful vision for us and an opportunity and a role that we can play in actually changing the game and changing the conversation and, more importantly, changing the equity. Uh, I feel like we're just getting started, but we got to wrap up. So tell everybody real quick, where can they find you and where can they get the book? For sure, we got to do round two. I'm coming. Round two, we just going to talk race. My next book is about race. So all right. Okay. We're going to talk about all of that. Anyway, so we, anyway, so when I come back, they can get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever. But I'll tell you this, because this is this is the day. Okay, wait, I forgot. It's out today. So today. That's right. Today. When we're filming this, it's out today. Go get the book right now. Woo! Go get it right now on Amazon. Go to a greater story dot org a greater story dot org scroll down and it has all the bookstores that it's listed at and i mean i know most of y'all are amazon prime so just get it on amazon prime help a black brother out i'm gonna say it right now since we've already been talking about it but also i mean you could you you i spend a lot of time talking about black culture in the book like a third of it is how i grew up and what I learned about America and how it shaped me and how I overcame. So even if you're in the race conversation and you're going, I want to understand black culture more. I'm, I mean, we do a ton of research on the, and we, we talk about fatherlessness. We talk about how it happened. We talk about black excellence. I mean, you got it growing up on Auburn. So get that, but also just be encouraged that no matter what you're going through in this season of COVID-19, that God can make a way and he will if, if you let them. So right. Tractionville, you know it, all that goodness is in the show notes, go get Sam's book and uh, drop us a line. Let us know what you think of this episode. It was a little different. If you want Sam back, let us know. And uh, we'll use you as leverage to get him back here. <laughs> <Bring me> back. <laughs> See y'all next week on Tractionville Tuesday. Tractionville Tuesday.